My name is Edwin Thomas and this is Mapping Clay, a podcast by Zentrum Paul Clay about the artist's journeys. Italy, 1901. After dropping out of his art studies with Franz von Stuck in Munich, Paul Klee embarked on a journey to Italy with a sculptor, Hermann Haller, a friend from his hometown of Bern, in October 1901. Visiting the famous cultural sites in Pisa, Rome, Naples and Florence was still part of the course of studies undertaken by fledgling artists at the beginning of the 20th century. The two stayed in Italy for seven months. Paul Klee, who was 21 years old at the time of the journey, documented his impressions in diaries, postcards, as well as numerous letters, most of which were to his future wife, Lili Stumpf, in Munich, and his parents in Bern. Diary, Genoa, October 1901. High houses, up to 13 floors, extremely narrow alleys in the old town. Cool and smelly. In the evening, thickly filled with people. In daytime, more with youngsters. Their swaddling clothes wave in the air like flags over a celebrating town. Strings hang from window to window across the street. By day, stinging sun in these alleys, the sparkling metallic reflections of the sea below, a flood of light from all sides, dazzling brilliance. Add to all this a sound of a hurdy-gurdy, a picturesque trade, children dancing all around, theatre turned real. I have taken a certain amount of melancholy along with me over the Gotthard Pass. Dionysus doesn't affect me easily. Diary, Rome, October 1901. Arrival on October the 27th, about midnight. We celebrated the event in a hotel near the railway station with three litres of Barbera and the heavy drunkenness. On the second day, I'd already rented a room in the heart of town, 20 Via dell'Archetto, for 30 lire per month. Rome captivates the spirit rather than the senses. Genoa is a modern city, Rome a historic one, Rome epic, Genoa dramatic. That's why it cannot be taken by storm. Impatience drove me at once to the famous sites, first to Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel and to Raphael's Stanza. Michelangelo had the effect of a good beating on the student of Kner and Stuck. He accepted it and discovered that Perugino and Botticelli fared no better. Raphael's frescoes passed, but not without the intention to do so. Less violent was the impression made by the equestrian statue of Marcus Aurelius and the statue of St. Peter in St. Peter's. His toes, worn away by kisses, added to the effect. Marcus Aurelius's concentrated art, with Peter, faith also has a share. Not that I understand the believers who busy themselves about his foot, but they're there anyway. Who cares about Marcus Aurelius? The primitive stiffness of the bronze of Peter, like a piece of eternity in the whirl of the accidental. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich. Rome, October 29th, 1901. 20 Via dell'Archetto. My dearest Lili, the distance between us has now become so great, but be kissed a thousand times in spite of that. And now I want to give you some brief impressions of the turbulence of the past days in an attempt perhaps, to conjure up some captivating imagery for you. You always have to consider how precious time is when on a journey like this. Rome, November the 2nd, 1901. 
When it came to Michelangelo's frescoes, although I was particularly captivated by the spirit residing in them, I see the evil beginnings of the Baroque in many lines of movement and enhancements in modelling. Like also, for example, in the robes in Raphael's Fire in the Borgo. You have very nice photographs that should make clear what I mean. Raphael, I owe such discernment to the architectonic that Italy has presented to me so far. Pisa Cathedral, Rome San Pietro. The first delighted me. I recognized Pisa as the most perfect. San Pietro left me spectacularly cold due to its Baroque style, which annoys me more than is my attention to be annoyed. I hate the Baroque, all the more since I realized, not being so stupid myself, that my own view and perception of form is in itself very Baroque and could lead me to the greatest calamity, provided that redemption is not out of the question. It being based on a good deal of the study of natural movement, a sketching method from the Kinea School, and anatomy, summer 1901. But I'll think about the fact that the noble style, not style in general, is exceeded by the perfection of the means, so as not to be accused of mere fantasy. Letter to Hans Clay in Bern, Rome, November the 3rd, 1901. The journey was as enjoyable as it was expensive, but on the other hand, life in Rome is so cheap that I easily have enough money. The most expensive of the rooms, from 30 lira, we made inquiries beforehand with a German artist. Mine's large and clean, and doesn't look as seedy as some of my rooms in Munich. So I'm more than happy to pay 30, without service, which is about three francs. The food and wine are excellent. Meat, arrosto, no more than 80 centesimi, macaroni platters for 30, 40, 50 centesimi, and a quarter of wine for 20 or 35. Recently, we ate out in Via Appia, in a rather shabby cucina. One and a half lira for the two of us, with half a litre of wine, and what wine. We had pork liver from the grill and a bowl of spinach. We'll be going there more often in the future. I've never drunk wines as good as those you get on this famous street, in open carafe, half a litre for twenty centesimi. Halla finds them strong and dilutes them, which I've never had the heart to do. If there was such wine in Germany, people would be lying on the streets, while in Italy I have never once seen a drunk. However, they generally mistreat their horses, mostly in fact mules. The donkeys are treated almost better. They also look rather charming. But cats seem to be protected. They often wear little bells and are of a completely different type than Swiss cats, probably because they're more dependent on rat scavenging. This enlarges their snout significantly, while the forehead recedes and the eyes are somewhat set flat and wide apart. It is especially apparent in the Genoese cats which crowd the harbour. They're all very tame. I've only come across dogs in Rome, Milan is completely animalless, which contributes to the city's uncomfortably noble appearance. Diary, Rome, November 1901. I have now reached the point where I can look over the great art of antiquity and its renaissance. But for myself, I cannot find any artistic connection with our own times, and to want to create something outside of one's own age strikes me as suspect. Great perplexity. This is why I am again all on the side of satire. Am I to be completely absorbed by it once more? For the time being, it is my only creed. Perhaps I shall never become positive. In any case, I will defend myself like a wild beast.
Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, November 11th, 1901. And now the letter I've longed for has arrived with all the memories of sober Munich. You may like to make your cuttings easier by just sending me the more important reviews. Satire kindles the poisonous and usually in quite a hilarious manner in many a dark corner. I laughed a lot. The editorial and the underground orchestra are great. If you ever need anything returned, put a note on it. I keep everything. Munich's a dull city only on the outside, while inside there's a strong sense of beauty. And especially in music, there's a dedication and entrepreneurial spirit like almost nowhere else. Here the situation is more desolate in as much as I have seen. The theatre's a kind of circus, the audience spits and smokes, the singers shout down and play over each other, and a very large orchestra takes pleasure in racing ahead and blaring out. Diary, Rome, November 1901. I'm working on a composition. At an earlier stage there were many figures. I called it moralizing on stray paths. Stuck calls a picture sin. Now the approach is satirical. The figures have been concentrated into three. The way of love. Now I have left out the woman. The problem is simpler and yet no less demanding. The woman is to be expressed triply in the attitude of the three. I must concentrate on working more intimately. There's not much ammunition at hand. Then why the big gun? Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, November 28th, 1901. My opus one looks as if it might be a final preliminary study. I would have to execute the whole thing soon, otherwise I would want to develop it even further, which is not really possible, because I have achieved a simplicity that borders the primitive. Maybe I'll get it photographed to give you an idea. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, December the 5th, 1901. This morning I found your lovely lines. Thank you so much. My first little owl has been the source of a profound disgrace, mainly because in the second hour of my possession it died on me while I was gobbling away in the restaurant, and shortly after it had devoured a thistle finch. Tomorrow I'll buy a new one. It only costs two francs. I'm glad it didn't wait too long to die, otherwise it would have been painful to me. As it is, it's more of a nuisance and, as I said, a disgrace. The new owl is very lively and striving constantly to release itself from the chain. It takes a lot of patience to get used to its perch, and that won't be any time soon. But one thing is certain. My place has been more homely ever since. In other respects, I'm living more comfortably than ever. The old woman is very proud of me. I almost forgot to send you one last greeting and many kisses. How much would I love to hold you in my arms once again, wholeheartedly. This would be the best thing on earth I could do, don't you think? Your Paul Clay. Diary, Rome, December 1901. Friendship with Halle not always untroubled. Incentive to rivalry, especially in art. Recognition that he's more advanced in the domain of colour. Realisation that a long struggle lies in store for me in this field. But in drawing, I correct him. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, December 7th, 1901. Today, two of my letters and two cards are travelling north, and I still have to write to Kinnear to bring matters there to a conclusion. I would like to be able to sever some threads that connect me with an earlier time and return ungratefully to myself. This ingratitude is accompanied by a current hatred of everything alien. I only see myself closely bound to my family, 
it's now become clear once more what is being done for me. More suspicious than ever, I try to find out who honestly means well with me, and I'm convinced of very few people only. Apart from them, I observe everything closely. I never had many friends, and today I feel almost desolate here. I'm still most drawn to Blurch, although we haven't seen each other enough in recent years to be as peaceful in each other's company as before. Lotomar has great future potential, but I tend to increasingly diverge from Halle. I trust his sense of honour, and he probably feels something similar about me, but otherwise there's nothing to connect us more closely. He's a very primitive character, and for me, even easier to understand than myself. We're so different that we would never have become acquainted without coincidentally undertaking the same studies. Postcard to Hans Blösch in Bern. Rome, December 9th, 1901. Dear Hans, why don't you write to your friend? I increasingly like it here and everything is fine. How are you? What is the doctor up to? I don't work much, but it's a little easier for me than before. Nevertheless, I only arrive at satire. Too much has already been painted in all other fields, as you can see here very clearly. Here, the most beautiful are the antiquities, which you stumble across everywhere. I already have particular loves among the muses. Klinger stole one, most likely by photographic means. Stuck has purloined centaurs. Everyone has stolen from here, while over there in Germany they're regarded as originals. German painting still has a touch of the classical, which isn't easy to abandon along the Rhine. You can trace the origins of everything here. I'm getting more knowledgeable every day. In March or April, we're going to Florence for two months. Warm regards, Paul Clay. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, December 12th, 1901. Finally, my Lily has done it. Thank you for taking such great trouble and even more for the lovely little picture. It is tasteful and a likeness, at least the best that has ever been created of you. Of course, my dear Lily could never emerge from any photographic apparatus, at most from the hand of an artist, which probably won't be me. At any rate, I haven't managed to create a portrait yet. Since I find myself rewarded so nicely, I'm glad I didn't grumble about the two-day pause, even though I felt like it. I'm tempted to send you a little letter separately. Your letters are all correctly franked. What about mine? I don't want to create a false impression with regard to your parents, so these joyful lines only come with the rest, being closed in my arms. Diary, Rome, December 1901. In January, I'll join the Association of German Artists in order to get back to drawing from nature. When I'm back in Bern next winter, I'll have time and opportunity to learn anatomy very thoroughly, like a medical student. And once I know that, I'll know everything. To be independent of these horrible models, for satirists too like to be free and independent. Now thunder is rumbling again, most strangely as if below the ground, faintly and intensely, making everything tremble. And this is Christmas, earthquake mood. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, December 23rd, 1901. When I got home, there was a yellow note on my table saying that something was waiting for me in the post. Hoping for a letter, I rushed the matter and went looking for it on my own account. Unsuccessfully, of course, because I was looking at the customs office, while in fact it was printed postal material being kept at the post office. I then consulted the gentleman living nearby, was able to obtain the item, and the counter was freed of two parcels, the weight of which made sense to me when I read the name Beethoven.
You have given me a gift for life with these quartets. This is your usual way, and the spoiled subject soon takes it for granted that they'll be given the same consideration as they were last time. With your own dear person, you've introduced a principle that makes me very happy indeed. The least I can say is that I already consider myself a wealthy man. As a thank you, I want to say, likewise, very quietly, in your ear, that everything about me is yours, in the secret hope that it will give you a moment of sweet joy. Farewell, my love, and don't forget to think about me every morning and every evening, even during the festive season. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, January the 8th, 1902. At the Constanzia I heard an opera by Donizetti for the first time, La Favorita, although I don't know if it was a particularly good choice. The opera is strongly reminiscent of works by Meyerbeer and Alavi, and is far from being as rich in happiness as Rossini. The singer's cadences appeared to be seeking murder. But one sang almost like a god, with a voice as if from another world. That is a tenor Bonchi, whose famous name is printed in bold on the programme. Unfortunately, he's as small as a sparrow. The others were mediocre in their singing, although the prima donna's voice was also astounding, especially her phenomenal contralto, otherwise a goose. The ensembles and choirs were artistic, very pure and wonderfully sculptural due to swellings of a grander style, conducta vitale. The orchestra brilliant as usual, but the staging was terrible. No spark of dramatic life, even though everyone was racing ahead. Incessant singing prevailed, all the cavorting foregoing any new approach. The admission prices are a mockery. Last performance, ingresso, three lira, premiere, five lira, gallery, one lira. And cheaper downstairs, not like Munich. On the 11th, La Boheme begins also, Col celebro, tenore bonci. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, January the 16th. You may as well go to the farmer's ball with a clear conscience, since you will go anyway. However, please don't let your handsome cousin kiss you, otherwise you will sink significantly in my respect. You should be as funny as a frog, a little frog, just not too tipsy, or not completely, because that side of you is not entirely unknown to me either. Diary, Rome, Thursday, January the 23rd, 1902. I drew a few queerly shaped tree trunks in the park of the Villa Borghese. The linear principles here are similar to those of the human body, only more tightly related. What I have thus learned, I at once put to use in my compositions. On Jan 24th, I had a serious talk with Halle. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich. Rome, January the 30th, 1902. Write to me soon, also about carnival, which doesn't concern me here. Also, I'm too old for it. And write to me again, in detail, about the farmer's ball, because I'm jealous, without it affecting my trust in you. I just hate everything that goes on around you. Is that allowed? You've had it good. Since we parted, I probably haven't spoken to any woman, and I think that's quite right. I don't want to know anything about these people. It's only you I am seriously and often painfully longing for. I kiss you warmly, my love. Paul Clay. Diary, Rome, February 1902. Ancient Italy remains the chief thing for me, the main basis. There is a certain melancholy in the fact that no present lives up to this past. 
it is probably ironical that ruins should be admired more than what has been well preserved. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, Rome, February 28, 1902. I created a new composition that fits well into an old frame, but ultimately would have to be done larger. So this will be the general motto now, bigger, much bigger, because one day these things will have to be exhibited. It could take another three years. This time satire has been resolved in silent sorrow. A fine and modern, weakly built boy is depicted, who walks over the ruins of a golden age. A strong, meaningful and contoured reproach. Perhaps the epigony as the title. Diary, Naples, March 1902. The aquarium is extremely stimulating. Especially expressive are such native creatures as octopi, starfish and mussels and snake-like monstrosities with poisonous eyes, huge mouths and pocket-like gullets. Others sit in sand over their ears like humanity sunk in its prejudice. The vulgar octopi stare out like art dealers. One in particular eyed me with compromising familiarity, as if I were a new Berklin and he a second girlit. Niente affari. A gelatinous, angelic little creature... Transparent and spiritual swam on its back with incessant movement, swirling a delicate pennon. The ghost of a sunken steamship. Upstairs in the library, the fresco of Marais. A half year before, the subject matter would have been quite strange to me. But now I can feel my way into it. The presentation deeply and sincerely appealed to me. Letter to Lili Stumpf in Munich, after the return from Naples, Rome, April 7th, 1902. The jealousy makes much less sense to me. The question about the beautiful Roman woman would have annoyed me only because of its tastelessness. It would be much more appropriate to ask a Roman woman about the beautiful Munich ones, because it's nowhere near as difficult to do something reckless with a woman as in Rome, and nowhere as easy as in Munich, except probably Paris, which I don't know. I have no reason to be jealous of you, and even if some social incident were to annoy me, any real jealousy would fail completely due to my belief in you. For example, you must believe that I didn't find fault in your interaction with Dr. Levy out of jealousy. Nothing could seem so wrong to me, but out of loathing for knowing you in such a pretense. Diary, Rome, April 1902. April the 10th. Three of us, Halla and Schmoller, made an excursion to Tivoli, the waterfalls have been reproduced in pictures and described often enough. In the afternoon we visited the Villa d'Este and toward evening the Villa Adriana, an absolutely heavenly corner of the earth. In the evening there were subdued and serious colour effects of a somberness and subtlety that one would never have believed possible in Italy, which is unjustly regarded as a garish land. There is a moral strength in such colour. I see it just as much as others do, I too shall be able to create it one day. When? April 13th. Rome is as melancholy as I am, 
It shrouds itself in dark veils and weeps with me. Anyway, I have a great deal to do and to think about, especially how I'm going to pack all my things. But I shall be able to leave only when I have the money, and when the money arrives, I must be ready to leave. Old Rome, with its eyes full of rain. I have already rented a room in Florence and nowhere to eat. I expect to meet Jean de Castella there. For some weeks he has been visiting Florentine pawn shops. A great rascal and a big child. How he mimicked the frightful ape and mauled his pretty sister. How overfed I am and insatiable, and how hungry for the novelties of Florence. The after-dinner nap in Bern. Then perhaps the dreadful awakening, the reversal of direction, instead of penetrating into myself, a going out of myself. I have already dreamt about it, and clearly. Letter to Hans Clay in Bern, Florence, April the 20th, 1902, 14, Via Dei Benci. It's with pain that I think about my remaining time here being so short, but since my money situation is already very bad, I shouldn't think about extending my stay. In order for you to fully know what happened with the last cash remittance, I want to provide you with the following information. Since the money only came into my hands on the 15th instead of the 1st, I had already used, borrowed, half the monthly money in advance. That is, 75 francs. Then I had to pay 10 francs to the Artists' Association and additionally for the other shoes, with postage 14. The journey cost 20. That would have left me, deducting from 150, 30 francs. In reality, I had 15 francs left. I had also bought a hat. Anticipating this, I let Halle give me 40 francs. And because of these additional expenses, I have to change something in the budget. I probably need 75 half a monthly allowance for Florence and for travel around 60 to 70. So you can say 150, not 100. I must have some of it very soon, the rest only at the end. It really is quite pressing because I have to reckon with a quarter of a month's allowance, that's almost 40, additionally by the 23rd. In other words, I will probably have used everything up on the 25th. Letter de Lillistumpf in Munich, Bern, May the 10th, 1902. It's a pity I can't think of anything important to say now that I finally have enough time to write. I can only admire how you always seem to have so many pleasant things to say, a little flattery, because it's not easy at home, although less difficult in Munich than in Bern, where nothing ever happens, so to speak. In other words, I feel unable to expand this letter any further, although, of course, I still have a lot to say to you, but such things don't look good on paper. There's only one thing I don't want to keep from you, namely that now the powerful impressions from my journey have subsided, I feel more than ever filled with your being. I am constantly thinking about our future together, and I long for it very much. Do you have any idea when this is most likely to happen? For today, the enclosed warmly in my arms, your devoted Paul Clay. Diary Ben Tunase, June nineteen o two. June the twenty second. It is a great need and great necessity to have to start with the smallest. I want to be as if reborn. I don't want to know anything about Europe. I don't want to know anything at all. Know of no poets. Be completely inert, almost originary.
I then want to do something modest, think up a very small, very formal motif. My pencil will be able to capture it without any elaboration. One propitious moment is sufficient. The small is easily rendered sparingly. And already it's been accomplished. It was a tiny but real act, and from the repetition of small acts, which are nevertheless one's own, a work will eventually transpire that I can build on. The next episode, Paris 1912, takes Paul Clay to the French metropolis, the hub of the international avant-garde. Mapping Clay is a series of podcasts by Zentrum Paul Clay. This podcast has been produced by Maze Pictures Swiss and with the support of Engagement Migros.